Why not? said Riversong. After all, there's a first time for everything. And this, being that Riversong was accepting an invitation to spend a night in the home of Amy and Rory Williams, would be the first time that she had slept under the same roof as her parents. Oh, joy! squealed Amy Pond, clapping her hands together. Mind you, said Riversong, there is just one condition. Hmm, said Rory Williams, stroking his beak-like nose and frowning. There always is with you, River. Now, now, Daddy, it's not what you might think it is. Let's hope not, said Amy Pond. So, what is this one condition? I, said River Song, milking the anticipation, would like something I've never had. Something I've always wanted, and yet something I've always missed out on. Something I should have had when I was a child. Blimey, said Rory Williams. Anything in particular? The list must be pretty long. Oh yes, said Riversong. Something very much in particular. So what is it? asked Amy Pond. What is it that you want? Riversong smiled. A bedtime story, she said. River Song's Bedtime Story by Stephen Muppet, Part 1 This is the story of the day that Doctor Who took us back to the very beginning. The very beginning? The very beginning of what? Don't interrupt. This is the story of the day that Doctor Who took us back to the very beginning of his travels in time and space. Back to the 23rd of November 1963, and a little junkyard in Totters Lane in London. We were standing in TARDIS when he suggested it. Would you like to go back to the very beginning? Doctor Who said, stroking his unruly mop of hair and beaming from ear to ear. The very beginning, I said. The very beginning of what? My husband, Rory Williams, added. The very beginning of my travels in time and space. Doctor Who grinned. Back to a little junkyard in Totters Lane in London. November the 23rd, 1963, the day I began my travels. Won't that affect the timelines and everything? Rory Williams asked. Wibbly-wobbly and all that, I added. Rory, Amy, don't you know me by now? Doctor Who said. We don't need to worry about that. Time can take care of itself. At least I hope it can. But hey, don't you want to see for yourselves? Meet the original me? Okay, said Rory Williams. That could be fun, I added. But I thought you were an alien, Doctor. Uh, 
a time thingy, Rory Williams said. Yeah, a time lord from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casturbarus, I added. That's the one, said Rory Williams. That's right, I am, said Doctor Who, with a cheeky grin. So, if you're a time lord from... from... Rory Williams continued. A time lord from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casturbarus, I said. From Castor thingy, said Rory Williams. Go on, Doctor Who said. If you're an alien, Rory Williams said, then how come your travels all started in a junkyard in... where was it? In a junkyard in Totters Lane in London, I said. Ah, said Doctor Who. Yeah, I said, and I thought you were 906 or something. That's right, my husband Rory Williams chipped in. You said it was the 20... the 20... The 23rd of November, 1963, I said. 1963, what's that, about 50 years ago? Roy Williams said. That would only make you about twice as old as you look, not 900 and... 900 and... 906. Come on, Doctor, explain. Well, you see, it's like this, said Doctor Who. I was born and raised on Gallifrey, and that's where I stayed until I was a grown-up. But I wanted adventure, excitement, new things. And adventure and excitement aren't really what Gallifrey was all about. So I left. Doctor Who paused. So far, so that doesn't really explain anything, Rory Williams said. Well, said Doctor Who slowly, it's like this, you see. We left under something of a cloud. We, said Rory Williams and I together. You've got to love that man. We, said Doctor Who, that is, my granddaughter and I, left under something. Granddaughter, exclaimed Rory Williams. You have a granddaughter, I exclaimed. Why, yes, said Doctor Who, with a glint in his eye. And we left Gallifrey under something of a cloud. And so we came to Earth and waited. Doctor Who paused again and looked at the pair of us as we stared gobsmacked back at him. He was obviously waiting for us to ask him the obvious question. You have a granddaughter, we both said. Doctor Who shook his head. No, 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 he said. You're supposed to ask how long we waited. We waited a long time. We waited until... So you have a daughter as well, asked Rory Williams. Or a son, I added. You have a... a... said Rory Williams. A child, I said. No, a granddaughter. I have a granddaughter. Weren't you listening? said Doctor Who. Now where was I? Oh yes, we waited until... Until the 23rd of November, 1963, I said. We know, added Rory Williams. We waited until it was no longer safe to do so, Doctor Who said. We waited until we were discovered, until our safety was compromised, and then our travels, our adventures began. But that doesn't explain how you look about twenty, said Rory Williams, when really you're nine hundred and... nine hundred and... nine hundred and six, I said. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, Doctor Who shrugged. Fair dinkum, said Rory Williams. Do what now, I asked my husband. Sorry, he said, I was watching Skippy before we went to bed last night. You know, while you two were... while you two were... talking about the weather asked Doctor Who. That's the one, I said. Besides, said Rory Williams, do what now? That's not exactly very paisley anyway, now is it? 
So, said Doctor Who. Totter's Yard, Totter's Lane, London, the 23rd of November, 1963. The start of my travels in time and space. Anyone up for it? It sounds a little dull, actually, I said. What about the Crystal Mountains of Moonintrot? Rory Williams said. You promised us the Crystal Mountains of Moonintrot. Or the Laughing Seas of Bapa Bapa, I added. You promised us those as well. The Crystal Mountains of Moonindrot can wait, said Doctor Who, and so can the Laughing Seas of Bapa Bapa. Doctor Who frowned. Don't you want to see me, starting out on my travels, a young man with a granddaughter and some even grander ideas? Rory Williams and I looked at one another. I suppose so, we both said. Doctor Who grinned from ear to ear. The Junkyard, Totters Lane, London. The 23rd of November, 1963, it is, he said. Rory Williams and I let out a long sigh. Brilliant, we both said. Let's go, said Doctor Who, and he was dancing around the central console, his fingers a blur of motion. London, you said, said Rory Williams, a junkyard. Doctor Who stepped out of TARDIS door and looked around. Well, he said, very slowly, it might be London. London, my foot, said Rory Williams. We were standing in what looked like the stockroom of a bookshop, a second-hand bookshop. The books littered all over the place in a rather haphazard fashion. Late morning daylight streamed in through the window, and it was rather warmer than we might have been given to expect, if we were also expected to believe that it was a late November day in London, in 1963. You've cocked it up again, haven't you? I said to Doctor Who. Not necessarily, Doctor Who said, unconvincingly. I don't believe you, I said, but then my attention was distracted by what sounded like cheering coming from outside the window. We were obviously quite high up in the building, because from where we were standing all we could see was sky. That's more like it, said Doctor Who, and he was just about to run to the window and find out what was going on outside, when a man who had apparently been standing in the corner of the room the entire time chose this precise moment to make his presence felt. Quiet, a lot of you, said the man, and we all three of us were only too happy to oblige, given that the man was also holding a gun and pointing it straight at us. I say, said Doctor Who. We mean you no harm, said Rory Williams. Shut up, Rory, I told him. I say, said Doctor Who, don't I know you from somewhere? I doubt it, said the man gruffly. I doubt it very much, but maybe one day you will. My name is Lee Harvey Oswald, and I'm here to save the President of the United States of America.
River Song's Bedtime Story by Stephen Muffet, Part 2. said River Song, who was lying in bed. This is fascinating. Do carry on. Thank you, I will, said Amy Pond. And Amy Pond continued telling her story. You're here to save the President of the United States of America, asked Rory Williams. That's not right, is it? I said, thinking hard. Not if you're Lee Harvey Oswald. Not unless the Universal Reboot affected the whole of mid-20th century American history. The Universal Reboot must have affected the whole of mid-20th century American history, my husband Rory Williams told me, if this really is Lee Harvey Oswald. Shut up, the man said, waving his gun. I've got a President of the United States of America to save. Lee Harvey Oswald turned back to the window and leveled the gun at something on the ground beneath. Doctor Who had already walked over to the window adjacent to Lee Harvey Oswald and was staring down towards the same spot below them. Rory Williams and I rushed over and joined him. Underneath us, the President of the United States of America's motorcade was slowly making its way down Elm Street, the warm sunlight streaming down and cheering crowds all around it. And a sinister-looking figure standing on a grassy knoll overlooking the motorcade was aiming a futuristic-looking weapon at the President of the United States of America's car. If you prevent this assassination, Doctor Who said to Lee Harvey Oswald, you'll change history. You'll create a disturbance in the timeline so big, so catastrophic, that anything could happen. You won't just change history, you'll also be changing the future. I have my orders, Lee Harvey Oswald said, and pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. Dog it, Lee Harvey Oswald said, lifting the gun and looking it over intently. You must have disturbed me at a vital moment. I forgot to take the safety off. Darn and dog it. Lee Harvey Oswald flicked the safety catch on the gun and was about to retrain it out of the window when a shot rang out followed by another and another. Oh, shoot! Lee Harvey Oswald exclaimed. As we watched, horrified but fascinated, three bullets ricocheted around the President of the United States of America's car, killing him stone dead. Dog it, dog it, dog it! Lee Harvey Oswald swore and turned panic-stricken for the exit. We've got to get out of this place. The cops will be here any moment. Wait a second, said Doctor Who catching Lee Harvey Oswald by the arm. Orders from whom? Lee Harvey Oswald pulled his arm free and fled towards the door. Don't you know? He said, pointing at TARDIS. You've obviously been sent here to stop me. I should shoot you instead. Lee Harvey Oswald brought his gun up and pointed it at Doctor Who. We've not been sent by anyone, Doctor Who said, holding his arms aloft in horror. 
I don't know what you're talking about. We really weren't sent by anybody, I added. We arrived here by accident, Rory Williams chipped in. We're supposed to be in a junkyard in London. London, whatever, said Lee Harvey Oswald, dropping the gun to his side again. This whole thing's messed up anyway. And with that, Lee Harvey Oswald was gone. What do we do now, Doctor? Rory Williams said. Follow him, said Doctor Who. We bolted through the door and found ourselves at the top of a staircase. He can't really change the future though, can he? I asked as we began a hurried descent. Of course he can, Doctor Who said. Anyone can change history just by being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Just remember, this isn't history to the people here. This is now. This is the present. This is actually happening. But who was that man? Asked Rory Williams. I mean, where did he come from? He's not the real Lee Harvey Oswald, is he? Who else would he be? Doctor Who said. We've arrived at a pivotal moment in your planet's past, and somebody, somewhere, is doing their level best to mess around with it. We arrived at the bottom of the staircase, and in front of us a glass door led out onto the street. We could just see Lee Harvey Oswald making his way through the milling crowds of screaming, crying people towards the distant grassy knoll. There was already a heavy security presence mingling among the moaning, mournful mob. Where's he going? I asked. He can't get home, Doctor Who said, holding something aloft in his hand. He's trapped here, so he's probably going to try and make things right for whomsoever it was that sent him. And I have a feeling you know who that is, Rory Williams said. I took the thing Doctor Who was holding up out of his hand. It was a kind of bracelet covered in futuristic-looking dials and buttons. What is this? I said, slipping it over my wrist. It's a travelling device, Doctor Who said. A vortex manipulator. It's what the time agency use in the future to allow their agents the freedom to travel anywhere in time. Lee Harvey Oswald is a time agent from the 51st century. And he's trapped here in 1963, Rory Williams said. Because you've got his vortex manipulator, I added. Quite so, Doctor Who said. Now, Amy, Rory, this is important. I want you to listen to me very carefully and follow my instructions to the letter. This Lee Harvey Oswald is a very dangerous man, a time agent from the 51st century who's been sent here to meddle with history. And meddling in history can lead to some very dangerous consequences, as I'm sure you're both very well aware. It's therefore imperative that we make sure things happen as they're supposed to. Okay, said Rory Williams and I. I want you to go back to TARDIS and wait there until I can sort this out, said Doctor Who. There was a long pause as Rory Williams and I thought about what Doctor Who said, all the while the noise from the crowd outside getting louder and louder. You're having a laugh, Rory Williams said. And as he did so, the noise of the crowd suddenly exploded upwards a level as the doors to the public library burst open and three secret service men rushed through them. Amy! Rory! Run! shouted Doctor Who, and we all three turned and fled. As we entered the maze of corridors looking for a rear exit, bullet fire broke out behind us, and the sound of metal whistling through the air made us run all the faster. Well, Doctor! Rory bellowed. What are we going to do? Whatever Lee Harvey Oswald is up to, we've got to stop him, Doctor Who shouted back. 
rounding a corner and almost knocking the man who was standing there flying. Oh, hello, Doctor Who said, pulling up short as Rory Williams and I cannoned into the back of him. And who are you? Name's Ruby, Jack Ruby, said the man, and he thrust his hand into his inside jacket pocket and pulled out a gun. Song's Bedtime Story by Stephen Muppet, Part 3. This is glorious stuff, just glorious, River Song said, grinning madly from her bed. I can't wait to hear what happens next. Then shut up and listen, said Amy Pond, and she continued telling the story. And what are you doing here? asked Doctor Who, looking at the man's wrist. Jack Ruby was wearing a vortex manipulator. Ah, said Jack Ruby, looking first at Doctor Who and then at me, noticing the vortex manipulator I'd earlier slipped over my own wrist. Lee Harvey Oswald, I presume? It seems I've arrived too late. Not to worry, a slight change of plan will put things right. Strange, I assumed you'd be a man, nevertheless. Jack Ruby turned his gun and pointed it straight at me. Wait, said Doctor Who. What are you doing? Jack Ruby looked him in the eye. I'm here to avert the prevention of the assassination of the President of the United States of America, he said. And if I have to kill Oswald here to do it, then so be it. But this isn't Lee Harvey Oswald, said Doctor Who. He's outside already on the grassy knoll. Then who is this? asked Jack Ruby, giving me the once-over. His eye began to wander. Her name's Williams, said Rory Williams. Amy Williams, and she's with me. Amy Pond, I corrected him, and I'm with both of these fine boys. I took Rory Williams and Doctor Who by their arms. Jack Ruby smiled. Fair enough, he said. Although, if you ever think there's room for one more... Jack Ruby turned to Doctor Who. 
So, what's going down? He asked. The President of the United States of America is already dead, Doctor Who told him. Whatever Lee Harvey Oswald came here to do, he failed. Then I might as well go home, Jack Ruby said, reaching for his vortex manipulator. Not so fast, Doctor Who said, leaning forwards. First, tell us this. What on earth is going on here? Why are the time agencies sending one man back to prevent the assassination of the President of the United States of America, and then someone else to stop the first man? What's that all about? Just a cock-up in the records department, said Jack Ruby. Oswald was sent here by accident. Apparently, the President of the United States of America wasn't supposed to die, not historically. At least, the records seemed to show it wasn't a native who killed him. And that could have messed up history. Then we discovered there must be a computer error in records, a typo in the infotext, after Oswald had already been dispatched. That's when I got involved. I got sent after him to put things right. Seems somebody else did my job for me. Seems so, although we still don't know who, Doctor Who said to himself. I don't care who, Jack Ruby said. I'm off. Have a nice day. And Jack Ruby hit one of the buttons on his vortex manipulator and disappeared into thin air. So what now? asked Rory Williams. The three Secret Service men suddenly appeared around the corner behind us. Run! yelled the doctor. And we did. So, I yelled as we ran. If Lee Harvey Oswald came back to 1963 to prevent the assassination of the President of the United States of America, and didn't, and Jack Ruby came back to 1963 to avert the prevention of the assassination of the United States of America, and didn't, then someone has assassinated the President of the United States of America, and it wasn't who it was supposed to be. So who did it, and why? Who indeed? That's what we need to find out, Doctor Who yelled back. Aha! Here we go. We had arrived at the back entrance. It's locked, Rory Williams said, trying the door. Never mind, said Doctor Who. Stand back. Doctor Who pulled his trusty sonic screwdriver from his pocket, and with a buzz the door clicked open. Quickly, said Doctor Who. Once we were on the other side, Doctor Who's trusty sonic screwdriver worked its magic once more, and the door was locked again by the time the Secret Service men reached it. Where now? asked Rory Williams. To the grassy knoll, exclaimed Doctor Who, and we were running again, this time through the crowds of stunned onlookers and towards the grassy knoll, and hopefully towards the answer to this mystery. Suddenly, Rory Williams pulled up short, stopping Doctor Who and me as he did so. What's up, Rory? I asked. Look, he said pointing towards the grassy knoll. Doctor Who and I looked, and as we did, we saw the figure of Lee Harvey Oswald finding itself rapidly surrounded by secret servicemen, before being bundled into the back of an unmarked van and driven away. What'll happen to him now? I asked, running my hand over the vortex manipulator still attached to my wrist. Will he ever get back to the 51st century? I doubt it very much. Doctor Who mumbled mysteriously before adding, Come on! In a moment we were standing on the grassy knoll with the perfect view of Elm Street in Dallas and the tragedy that had occurred there. Apart from a few trees and the three of us, the grassy knoll seemed deserted. There's no one here, Rory Williams said. 
I shrugged my shoulders. Maybe we should just go back to TARDIS then. I don't think so. I hate an unresolved mystery, said Doctor Who. There must be some clue. Look around. Maybe we can find something. Evidence of the gun that fired those multi-directional bullets, perhaps. This gun, do you mean? said a voice behind us. Doctor Who, Rory Williams and I turned as one to find two familiar-looking faces standing behind us. Faces that I recognised but just couldn't quite place. The elder of the two figures was pointing a futuristic-looking weapon right at us. Yes, said Doctor Who. That looks like the gun. More time agents, Daddy? asked the younger of the two figures, as he turned his eyes from the vortex manipulator on my wrist to his rather more senior associate. Certainly looks that way, son, said the elder of the two figures. What are we going to do with them? said the younger of the two figures. I got no beef with these guys, said the elder of the two figures. But we can't just leave them here, said the younger of the two figures. We should kill them. Then we take with, the elder of the two figures told the younger of the two figures. We don't just kill people for the sake of it. Not unless there's a very good reason. Then he turned back to us. We'd better come along. They marched us into the trees where a spaceship was parked, waiting. In you go, said the elder of the two figures, and Doctor Who, Rory Williams, I and the elder and the younger of the two figures went inside the spaceship. Well now, said Doctor Who before whispering to Rory Williams and myself. I seem to recognise this technology, although I'm quite sure it doesn't belong to these two. Then he turned to the elder and the younger of the two figures and said, I'm the doctor, by the way. This is Amy Williams and that's Rory Pond. Uh, that is to say, she's Amy Pond and he's Rory Williams, rather. And what should we call the two of you? George, said the elder of the two figures. George said the younger of the two figures. That makes everything perfectly straightforward, said Doctor Who. So, where are we going then? Raxacorico Fallopatorius? What? said George Jr. Daddy, how the heck did he know about Raxacorico Fallopatorius? George Sr. growled. How in heck should I know? No point in keeping the skin suits on though, he muttered. Thank the Lord said George Jr. I was getting pretty darned hot in there. And as Doctor Who, Rory Williams and I watched on in horror, the two Raxacorico Palapatorians unzipped their foreheads before stepping out of their skins and revealing the two baby-faced green Slovene within.
the song's bedtime story by Stephen Muffet, part four. Oh, good show, exclaimed Riversong from the bed, clapping her hands together. This story just gets better and better. Amy Pond scowled down at her. Are you going to let me finish this story, or what? She said. Oh, do go on, said Riversong, smiling sweetly. Slithy, exclaimed Dr. Lee, just as I thought. Slithy, asked Rory Williams, perplexed. What's a slitheine? I asked. Doctor Who gestured towards the two enormous baby-faced green aliens. Those are slitheine, Doctor Who said. Enormous baby-faced green aliens from the planet Raxacorico Fallopatorius, and interested in only one thing, profit. Correct, humans, said George Senior. Now, watch us put the rest of our plan into action. Watch and learn. With the flick of a few switches, the spaceship was taking off. What about TARDIS? asked Rory Williams. Yes, Doctor, what about TARDIS? I said. If we can't get back to her, we'll never be able to get home again. Doctor Who shrugged. Where are we going, anyway? asked Rory Williams. Raxa... Raxa... Raxacorico Fallopatorius? I said. Wait and see, said George Senior. We're going to the future, exclaimed George Jr. We're travelling through time. We stole a time engine and we're travelling through time, going to the future. Doctor Who smiled as he heard the news. That's bad, isn't it? I said. I should think so, said Rory Williams. Maybe not so much, Doctor Who whispered. Where exactly in the future are we going? He asked the two Georges. 1968. June the 5th, to be specific, said George Senior. We're going to Los Angeles, said George Junior, rubbing his enormous green hands together. Doctor Who grinned again. Isn't that bad then? Rory Williams asked. Don't be silly, I told him. Of course it's bad, isn't it, Doctor? Maybe not so much, Doctor Who whispered. And as quick as a flash, Doctor Who took hold of my wrist and dialed the water manipulator. And, before I could say, what the heck are you doing, we were travelling through the blue and the silver of the time vortex, and the next thing we knew, we were standing next to TARDIS in the library, in 1963 once again. What the? Rory Williams said. What about the Slitheen? I said. What about their evil plan? Yeah, said Rory Williams. What about changing the future and terrible consequences and all that? Oh, said Doctor Who, I think things will probably work themselves out in the end. Huh? said Rory Williams and I. Doctor Who opened TARDIS door and the three of us stepped aboard. The door closed behind us, and with a few swift hand movements over the central console, we were on our way once again. Doctor, said Rory Williams. Doctor Who smiled enigmatically. Doctor, I said. Are you going to tell us what just happened out there, or what? Think about it, said Doctor Who. The 5th of June, 1968. What happened on that day? How in the name of Dickens would I know? I said. 
Oh, I get it, said Rory Williams. The other Kennedy assassination, wasn't it? That's right, said Doctor Who. And those two Slitheen, who are they really? I recognised them, I said, but I couldn't quite place them. Oh, come on, said Doctor Who. George Senior and his son, George Junior. Who else could they be? The President's Bush, exclaimed Rory. Quite correct, said Doctor Who. And all that's happening here is that history is being allowed to run its natural course. But, but they're running around killing presidents, I said. Presidents and potential presidents, said Rory Williams, and good ones at that. Nevertheless, said Doctor Who, that's what's meant to happen. Jack Ruby got it, although he didn't realise it. He said it wasn't a native who killed the President of the United States of America in 1963, and he was right. It wasn't a native of this planet, is what he probably didn't realise. No wonder the Time Agency thought it was a computer error. And you're just going to let it happen? I asked. You're just going to let a pair of Slitheen masquerading as the President's Bush run around in Time and America, bumping people off. Doctor Who smiled. I don't think they were masquerading, he said. I'm pretty sure they really were the President's Bush. You're joking, said Rory Williams. Just wiping out the competition, Doctor Who said, eradicating the previous dynasty in order to pave the way for their own. And you're just going to let them? I asked. Far be it for me to interfere in established history, said Doctor Who. Besides, the President's Bush are probably the funniest presidents your planet's ever had. You wouldn't want me to change that, would you? Well, that was great, said River Song, yawning ostentatiously. Your first bedtime story, said Amy Pond. You enjoyed it, then? asked Rory Williams. Oh, yes. And was it all true? Is that how it really happened? River Song asked. Every word, said Amy Pond. Spectacular, said River Song. Now, get some sleep, Amy Pond told her. We'll see you in the morning, said Rory Williams. Night, Mum. Night, Dad, said River Song. Night, River. Amy Pond and Rory Williams left the room, closing the door and switching out the light behind them. River Song lay back in the bed, staring at the ceiling for a while. After a moment, there was a slight rustle, as if a breeze had blown through the room. River Song looked up to see the figure of a man standing by the bed. Ah, Ruby, she said quietly. Madam Controller, said Jack Ruby, inclining his head slightly in a deferential manner. How did you find me? River Song asked. I knew where you'd be, said Jack Ruby. There was a pause. And how did your mission go? asked River Song. It went very well, said Jack Ruby. Mission accomplished. So history was allowed to run its natural course, said River Song. Thanks to you, eh, Jack? That's right, madam, said Jack Ruby. And Oswald? asked River Song. Ah, Oswald, said Jack Ruby. I'd forgotten about him. Where is he? asked River Song. Can't rightly say, said Jack Ruby, although I'm pretty sure he must have come home. And how would he have managed that? 
said Riversong, without the vortex manipulator. Oh, said Jack Ruby, the girl. That's right, the girl, said Riversong. Oh, said Jack Ruby. We can't have a rogue time agent wandering around in the mid-twentieth century, said Riversong. Something has to be done about Lee Harvey Oswald. I suppose so, madam, said Jack Ruby. You have a new mission, said Riversong. Go back and wipe Oswald out, asked Jack Ruby. Go back and get Oswald out, said Riversong. And only if you can't get him out should you dispense with him permanently. Jack Ruby stroked the gun in his pocket lovingly. It'll be my pleasure, ma'am, he said. <laughs>